We're going to start in Romans 6, but before we do this, I want to make sure, make clear dividing lines right here, okay? Um, I, I'm reading a book that if anybody else wants to read it when I'm done, you can read it, but it's called The Mortification of Sin by John Owen. John Owen was a Puritan preacher that lived in the 1700s. And this man is saying things to me that I long to hear. I'm, I'm wanting to hear more preachers talk like this man, okay? You cannot live a Christian life and not wage war against sin in your own body. It's impossible to live absolutely like a Christian and not have a desire to subdue and to defeat sin in your body and in your life. So before I say anything that I'm about to say, what I say tonight is for people who are born again. This is for believers, okay? Because the reality is that the spiritual things of God are not going to be understood by lost people. All they will see in the preaching of this message is, oh, he's telling me I got to live better and do better and stop doing this sin and stop doing that sin. You don't have to do a single thing to get saved except repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Period. This is the only requirement that we see in Scripture. Believe upon me. That's what Jesus says. Amen? Now, God is sovereign in the work of salvation and moves on men's hearts to save them. That's true. But what I'm about to preach to you has nothing and nothing to do with a sinner that's lost and doesn't know Jesus. Because this message is beyond them. John Owen said, we need to preach repentance to the sinner and mortification of sin to those who believe. Because not one sinner will ever attempt to mortify sin in their flesh. And even if they attempted to do so, would not be successful outside of Christ. Period. End of story. So what I say tonight is to saved people. My admonishment to anyone else who doesn't know the Lord Jesus Christ is repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And everything else after that, this will then apply to you. But it will not apply until you know Jesus Christ. Christ, period. You understand that when you read the verses we're going to read. There is no other way of salvation. You are saved by grace alone. The grace of God in election, he decides, he says, here you go, right? And only those who believe the gospel will be born again. So this message is for those who are born again. See, we have a dilemma nowadays. We have one end of the spectrum where people say, oh, you, you get saved and you don't have to do a thing after that. 
And then you get on the other end of the spectrum and people act like you have to keep earning your way to heaven. If you don't do this and you don't do that, then you're not going to get to heaven. It's not true. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Period. End of story. And I'll say it this way. Anyone who ever hears the gospel and believes will be saved. That's what the Bible says, right? I don't know who will or won't believe, but God does. Not only does he know, the Bible says that he's chosen them from the foundation of the world to be conformed to the image of his son. So in saying all that, tonight we're going to be talking about the believers. Everybody who's a believer in this room, hold your hand up. That's why I titled this, Your Responsibility to live unto God. You see, before, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You were an enemy of God, according to Romans. You could not receive the things of God, nor could you understand the things of God. But all of a sudden, God reached into your heart and took out a heart of stone and thrust in a heart of flesh, according to Ezekiel 36, and you were born again. And now, You have the moral obligation that since you've been bought with a price to live for the person who bought you with that price. Amen. Amen. The realities that we live in today where Christians seem to pick and choose what they want to do for God and how they're going to live for God and what sins are okay and what sins are not okay. I'm sorry, okay? The reality is if this book says that it's sin, then you should do everything humanly possible not to do it. As a believer, it's your responsibility to obey God to the very best of your ability. And when you fail, you pray to God that his spirit would continue to strengthen you for you to overcome. That's what the Bible teaches. Not only that, it teaches that he's promised to help us. Can I get an amen on that? He has not left us without help. He's promised his spirit. What did he tell the disciples? I'll send you another comforter. And he'll teach you all things and remind you of whatsoever things I have told you. And then he said, stay in Jerusalem until you what? Receive power from on high. See, power isn't just for signs, wonders, and miracles. Signs, wonders, and miracles are just that. They're signs. They're wonders. They're miracles. Do you know what the real deep work of the Holy Spirit is it is conforming you into the image of Christ it is taking this lump of clay that has believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ and is now saved and being sanctified and it's going to continue to sanctify and mold and shape this person into who God wants them to be because he who began the good work in you 
is faithful to complete the work. So we're going to start in Romans 6. I'm starting in Romans 6 for a very specific reason because there's much personal responsibility in this chapter. Much. We've already talked all through Romans. Romans 1, 2, and 3 are about how God saw us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Romans 4. We begin to talk about uh, the, the justification by faith alone and that that uh, Jesus come to save those of many nations and make them Abraham's son, right? We begin chapter 5 talking about sanctification through the blood of Christ and the abundant grace of Christ and how Christ has come to save us. Chapter 6 begins with this. What shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound. Now, I want you to mark who he's talking to. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. And I could show you this in the very fact that here in a minute he's going to tell them that they're in Christ. <laughs> okay? No unbeliever is in Christ. And no unbeliever has Christ in them. Christ is only in the believer, and only the believer is in Christ. Amen. That's what Scripture teaches. You don't have a whole world of, of kind of believers who are kind of in Christ and kind of out of Christ. It's not how it works. You're either born again or you're not. So he's talking to believers. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What is his answer? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. And here we go about this newness of life. We've been crucified with Christ. We're dead to sin. We've died with Christ. And now we're walking by the glory of the Father in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, I love when the King James says this. Knowing this, it's drawing a contrast for you. It's telling you since I just said all this stuff, now that we know that we've been buried with Christ, now that we know we're dead to sin, now that we know we're going to live in newness of life, knowing this, our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. 
He's talking to believers. Now, this is the same Paul that wrote Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. By grace are you saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the same guy that wrote that. What's the difference? One, he's talking to people about how they got saved. And now he's talking about what it looks like to live unto God after I'm saved. Number, uh, verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Tap your neighbor on the shoulder and tell him, I've been freed from sin. I've been freed from sin. How? Because before I only had one nature. Before I had a sinful nature that only wanted to do evil, that only wanted to do wickedness, that the thoughts and, the, and the, the intent of my heart was wicked continually. But in Christ, I've been given a new heart, a new will, a new desire. Come on, somebody. Amen. Now, even though there's a root still in me, I'm still in this flesh, I'm still in this dirt suit. Now, I have another will, I have another nature that says, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do that. Amen? Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being risen, uh, knowing, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death no more has dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now, I want you to make an underline right there where it says, And he liveth unto God. This is Christ's whole purpose of coming was to glorify the Father. Amen. He did whatsoever the Father told him to do. He said whatsoever he heard the father say amen in the garden of gethsemane not my will but thy will be done he lived unto god now watch this verse 11 is the hinge point of this whole chapter likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord do you understand that if you truly have faith in Christ and you're truly trusting in Christ you have truly been regenerated you've truly been drawn by the Father to the Son you've accepted the Son said yes to the Son and have been born again if you have done that, if that is actual reality that's happened in your heart that God has done inside of you, you don't have a choice. You're dead with Christ and you're supposed to live your life unto God. Your responsibility is to live your life unto God. The Bible says that we are no longer our own. We've been bought with a price. 
My life is no longer my own. Your lives, as precious as they are to you, the bad, the good, the victories, the defeats, they're no longer yours. When you said yes to Christ, when Christ came to live inside your heart by faith, you no longer became, or you know, you are no longer in charge, and Christ has became the Lord of your life, the Lord of your heart. It's no longer your will. Now your prayer and your life is supposed to look like the Garden of Gethsemane every day. Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. That's why Jesus even taught his disciples a year and a half before he ever went to the Garden of Gethsemane. They come to him and said, teach us how to pray. And he said, if you want to pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done Amen. in earth as it is in heaven. You see this? Likewise, he's telling you, just like Christ now lives because he, he's, he, he already died once for sin. And he dies no more. Amen? Do you understand the ramifications, Christian, that even though you're going to die physically, the fact of the matter is because you are in Christ, you don't ever die. Amen. Ever that's what it says. Jesus said, what did he say? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Amen. Believest thou this? So we have a a, 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 a mandate here to live for God. And I want you to notice the next verse. Let not sin reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. This is, we got a, we got a mandate, we're going to live unto God, and then the very next verse he tells us, so don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Well, what's supposed to reign in sin's place? Righteousness, godliness, the, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Christ is supposed to reign in place of the sin. Your life is hid with God in Christ. You're bought with a price. You're no longer your own. You're no longer in charge. Christ reigns and not lust. How does this work, preacher? It's not easy. That's why I'm reading this book called The Mortification of Sin. What does that mean? Killing sin in our life. We have to be actively involved in the process. Number one, God is absolutely sovereign in salvation. But you cannot get around the fact that people absolutely have to believe and they absolutely have to come and they absolutely have to have faith. They are actively doing that somehow. However, this mystery works out. Now, sanctification ain't no different. 
God is absolutely sovereign in the work of sanctification, but there's still a part there. And the reality is the Bible lays the charge on you. You put on the new man. You put on the new mind of Christ. You mortify the deeds of the flesh. They don't say, hey, wait around and wait for the Holy Spirit to give you an unction. No, you've already been given the Holy Spirit. You've already been given all the means of grace that are available. And it is still up to you. Amen. The Bible doesn't say, wait around and watch God do a work. He says, God's going to do a work. And now you mortify the deeds of the flesh. God's going to do a work. Now obey. So my prayer is, God, I know you're working in me. And I fail all the time at obey. But I'm still going to get up every day and I'm going to try. And I'm going to go to war in the flesh. I'm going to go to war against my flesh. I'm going to go to war against the devil, the world, and the flesh. I'm going to make it a fight. But I'm not what I can't do. What we can't allow to happen is this sense of apathy where we don't have to fight, where we don't have to wage a good warfare, where we don't have to, to, to really do anything in the process of God changing us, molding us, and shaping us. Brothers and sisters, the person that does not want to fight and war against their own flesh are in serious danger of being revealed that they're not really born again. A born again person is absolutely detested by the things that they used to do. I'm going to get to that. We're going to get to it in this chapter. You'll see it. Let's keep reading. I want to, I want to note in chapter or verse 13 here. Neither yield, yielding, when you yield, what are you doing? You're giving up. You're surrendering to, right? Watch what he says. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. Notice what it's unto. Who am I to live to? I'm to live unto God. Right? He says, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves where? Unto God. As those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness of righteousness unto God. So I'm yielding myself as someone who is now alive. Alive to what? Alive to the fact that I have been born again. I've been bought with a price. Alive to the fact that I was once dead in my sins and trespasses. And now that I look upon my sin and I look upon my trespass, it causes me to fall on my face in repentance and say, Oh God, who will save me from this body of death? Just like Paul in the very next chapter. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Now he asks the question again. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? And here we have it again. God forbid. Or the ESV says... By no means. Isn't that right? 
What is it? By no means know ye not that to whom ye yield. Who's yielding? You're yielding. Right? So the onus is on you to not yield. You're not to yield to sin, but you are to yield to God. So now, this new nature that I have, I have to implement this willingness to yield myself unto God because there's a war in my flesh. Very next chapter. The thing that I want to do, I don't do. The thing that I do want to do, I don't do. Come on. But you need to be fighting the good fight. You need to be, as Paul tells Timothy, waging a good warfare. Amen. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servant ye are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked. Somebody high five your neighbor and tell God be thanked. God be thanked that ye were servants of sin. Notice what he says, were. Ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, being then made free from sin. I like this way the, the King James words this. Being then freed from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members' servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants unto holiness. Now, I'm going to take a moment to stop here. He said, you used to yield your members to unrighteousness upon unrighteousness. But now you need to yield your members unto holiness. Now, holiness... Is this idea now? This this idea of uh, of sanctification and holiness. We got to understand. There's two ways, two understandings. Okay, and both are true. I have been sanctified by Christ. I, I have been set apart. Amen. I've been made holy by Christ because of His holiness. But I'm also still living in this dirt suit, and I'm also walking out this sanctification process. That's conforming me more and more into the image of his son. Amen. And that process is holiness. I think uh, just, just looking at this, um, it's uh, important in verse 17 to also note that it says, he have obeyed from the heart. That's right. Because it is very possible to go through these motions and merely outwardly obey and still not have achieved what is being well, and that's that's exactly that's right. The opposite error from that there is a there is a way that people can obey the letter of the law and not really have a heart change. Okay, right. the understanding of this that we set from the very beginning is that it was for believers, right. truly born again believers, because. The world, for all intents and purposes, there's people in the world who've never killed anybody, just like you and I have. 
And we'll go, oh man, look, they got God. Why? Why do you think that they have oil? They haven't killed anybody. They haven't stolen anything. That doesn't make them saved. Believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ makes you saved. That's the only thing that makes you saved. Okay? The work of, uh, of sanctification, there, there, there's all kinds of people in the world who morally... They look pretty moral. They sound pretty moral. But the reality is you can keep digging and you're going to find that they're going to believe things that are totally contradictory to this. And they'll absolutely reject this. Doing good deeds doesn't make you holy. Doesn't sanctify you. What I'm talking about is the process after you're born again of being conformed into the image of Christ. This is what Paul is clearly talking about. Now watch this. I want to go. That's a good point, Kyle. And I'm glad you brought it up. Verse 20. For when we were the servants of sin. Oh, excuse me. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. Notice what he said. When you were servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What does he mean? You were free of righteous conviction. You were free of righteous condemnation that causes you to repent and uh, hate sin and reject sin and want to run away from sin. You didn't have that feeling. You didn't have that burden. Right? You sinned, and you were happy in it. You were free. I want you to get what he's about to tell you in the next verse. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye, are, uh, ye have fruit unto holiness and the end thereof everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ our Lord. The reality of this statement is that being born again lays upon the believer the responsibility to live unto God. I want to go over a few notes that I wrote, okay? I did all that with no notes, okay, by the way. No notes on any of that. Now we're getting to the notes, and I'll be, we'll be going through them real fast, and I'm going to quote a bunch of verses you can write them down. You can try to remember them. You can go back and watch it and pause it and say, oh, what did he say right there? What did he say right there? Uh, we are called to live for Christ. We're called to live unto God. We're called to be dead to sin. Indeed, we're called to be dead unto this world. Why? Because we're crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I that live. But Christ that lives in me and gave himself for me. In the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me 
who gave himself for me. Galatians 2, 20. We are to stand against and to resist the devil by submitting unto God. Submit yourself therefore unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. James 4, 7. We are called in 1 Timothy 1.18, just like Timothy, to wage a good warfare. And that's only a part of that verse. It's the very end of that verse, okay? Paul tells him, remember those things and the prophets and what you've learned. Because by doing them, you'll wage a good warfare. But by ignoring them, by ignoring it, can, can we say it again? Let's go read that. Just, just go to 1 Timothy. I want, I want you to get this, okay? 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18. Let's read it. I charge. I want you to notice the wording, okay? This isn't, this isn't a suggestion. This isn't, uh, if you get around to it, if you feel like it, if you got enough time in the prayer closet, you know. He says, I charge. Not only does he say, I charge, he says, I charge. This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before thee, that thou by them mightest war, a good warfare. Wow. Holding fast, holding faith and a good conscience, which some have putting away concerning the faith, have made shipwrecked. Are you seeing this? You must wage a good warfare. Let's do another one. We are not to love the world, nor the things of the world. Why? Because <laughs> the world and the things of the world are passing away. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. We are called to count all things loss for Christ. Paul says that I have counted all these things lost for Christ. Philippians 3, 7. Jesus said, if any man would follow me, if any man would be my disciple, he must be willing to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If he doesn't hate his mother, father, sister, brother, yea, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to renounce all that you have, you cannot be my disciple. Do you see, the born-again experience lays the responsibility to live unto God upon them that are following. Amen. He saved you. He redeemed you. Now that you've been given a new heart, a new will, a new spirit within you, live unto God. It's a commandment. It's not a, a request. It's not a maybe. It's not an if. It's an absolute that has to happen to see that you are truly born again. 
We are told to present our bodies as living sacrifices unto God, which is our reasonable service. Romans 2, or Romans 12, 1 and 2. We are called to mortify, to kill sin through the Spirit of God. Kill the deeds of the body, the deeds of the flesh. Romans 8, 13. Colossians 3, 1 through 10. And if you would humor me for just a moment, I want to go to Colossians 3. And I want to read verses 1 through 10. And I'm going to read them fast. I'm not going to stop and comment on them. If ye then been risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, idolatry, uh, excuse me, inordinate affections, evil conspicuity, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which ye also walked some time when you lived in them. But now ye have put off all these things, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. You notice all throughout this, the onus continually be, is put on you. Put off. Put on. Yep. Mortify. Set your affections. And it makes a point. If you are indeed, for you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Right? The very first statement, if ye be risen with Christ. If you're born again, this should be happening. Come on. We are to lay aside every weight and every sin that does so easily beset us. And run with patience the race that is set before us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 through 4. And the fourth verse says this, and I'm not turning there. For you have not yet labored unto the shedding of blood against your sin. We need to fight a good fight. We need to do a good warfare. We need to be actively involved. In the work of living unto God. Amen. Those who run a race prepare for the race. They train for the race. They spend time. They spend the effort. Those who participate in the Olympic Games, they don't just show up there one day ready to run or ready to throw or ready to do whatever it is they do. They train and they train and they train and they're Constantly preparing their self because the goal is Christ. Amen. The goal is eternity. The goal is not just getting Christ. The goal is me being conformed into the image of Christ. Yes. Come on. And to live my life 
unto God. God is absolutely sovereign over the work of salvation. God is absolutely sovereign over the work of, of sanctification. God's sovereign work and purpose in saving us does not remove our responsibility to live unto God. It does not remove our responsibility as Christians to live unto God. He who is entrusted will much will be given much. I want to read of much will be required. I want to read the last half of chapter 10, paragraph 1 of the confession, where it's talking about our effectual calling. And I want you to get this, okay? It says, out of the state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation. Uh, let's just read the whole thing. Those whom God hath predestined unto life, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of the state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and saving uh, and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by his almighty power, determining to them which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so as they come most freely, being made, being made most willingly, willing by his grace. And then our question from this past week, question 44 in the Baptist Catechism says, remember what it said? I, I'm, I'm trying to get there. Verse, it's, it's question 44. It says, what is the duty which God requireth of man? The duty which God requireth of man is obedience to his revealed will. What is God's revealed will? What do we live by? The whole of the Bible. What is the first place that we need to start as Christians? The New Testament. Everything in the New Testament. Everything. Not just the parts about grace. Everything in the New Testament is applicable to you, the believer. Everything. And I would argue that everything in the New and the Old Testament is applicable to you. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Amen. 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 Beloved, I came here with one message tonight. You are supposed, the responsibility, you're supposed to have the feeling, the, the unction, the the love the desire to feel responsible to live your life unto God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that your word is so sharp. 
Lord, it is able to cut down to the very quick of why we don't like and why we don't want and why we can't stand. And even to the points where we see ourselves for who we are. And we ask you, God, to help us in all the ways that we may have failed to do so. Help us, God, to apply this message to our hearts and our lives that we might live our lives unto you. For your glory, for the glory of Christ, because he has given so much for us. Let us feel this weight. Let us feel this responsibility. Let us feel this duty that John Owen talks about. That we need to live our life unto Christ. Help us tonight, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.